I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth as we journey through the whole story of reality. We love great stories, don't we? We know that the stories of motherhood have unfolded. We know the stories of uh, graduation are unfolding even now. And the things are going to happen in our lives and our whole really lives are stories. And we find ourselves in a, a larger story. The story, whole story of reality. As the graduates open their new Bibles, they have a little, uh, I, I want you to encourage it. It's a filament little application. You can take your phone out and you can scan that little deal and up come study notes. It's a pretty cool deal. So if you see them, take them out. They're not texting one another. They are, are using that to study the scripture a little closer. So we look forward to what God is going to share, show us in the whole story of reality. Think about this for just a moment. This is kind of a season of hope for them and for, for us. Last year, remember, our graduate recognition, we were driving by out in the parking lot. And so hope has been somewhat restored and is being restored in us. And, but we know Worldly hope and biblical hope are two very different things. A worldly hope is based upon kind of a, a wishful thinking. We're not, we want something to happen, but we're not certain that it's going to happen. For instance, we hope the Cowboys are better next season, but we're not real certain about that, are we? We hope we're going to have something good for lunch today, don't we? But we, we don't know. But biblical hope is something that's certain that hasn't happened yet, but that changes our perspective on the whole world. Biblical hope is the future expectation that God will faithfully keep His promises. And that's what we look toward today. That's what we look toward in the book of Ruth. It's a story, as I thought about what to preach on Mother's Day and Graduate Recognition Sunday, it's a perfect fit for where we are in the Scripture, as often the Scripture is. It, it fits our lives to think about. It's a story of two mothers, one Naomi and one Ruth. You think about this for just a moment with me. It's a story of tragedy that ends in triumph. And when we look at this story together, we know that all of these plans that these seniors have probably aren't going to work out exactly like they have them planned and exactly as they dream. In fact, they're, they're probably going to be far from what they intend right now. Even if their hearts are set, even if they're determined, even if they think they are going a certain direction, we've seen so many pre-med students through the year that take that first college chemistry course and realize they shouldn't be in pre-med. You know, things have a way of redirecting as they understand and open up to the world. That doesn't mean that your hopes and dreams are immediately shattered, but it does mean that at some point, at some time, for almost all of us and all of you, your hopes at some level and your dreams at some level, and this is not a great word necessarily, but it's the truth, are going to be shattered. And we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. That's the story of the book of Ruth. You realize it took place in the time of the judges in the scripture. And there was famine in the land. Famine's almost always caused by drought. And so we have a famine. And then they go to Moab, which is a, 
a country that really developed because of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his, his daughters. The Moabites were as kind of a despised, despicable kind of people in that day. They go to that place in hopes of food. And what Naomi finds is not only famine, but three funerals. The death of her husband. Elimelech, my God is king, dies. That's what his name meant. And sometimes we end up at that spot in life, whether we want to or not, we think, God, where are you? I don't understand this. Why? Let me encourage you today graduates and the rest of us too, when we have those why questions, take them to the Lord. He might not always give you the answer to the reason or, or to the question why. He might not give you the reasons for what's going on, but He will be faithful to bring a peace and a comfort in the midst of all of that. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't understand everything that happens in this life. We don't understand all the tragedies that happen. We don't understand the cancer or the divorce. or We don't understand all the, the things that have just kind of been poured out in our broken world upon us. But we can trust the one who does understand. And we can trust Him to be in the process even now. And this is the theme throughout the book of Ruth. To redeem. Whatever's taken place. In our lives. For his good. And his glory. And so as we walk through this. I, I want to just kind of. Show you this story in. Synopsis. This this. Briefly, we're not going to read the whole book together, but you can do that on your own in about 13 minutes. I timed it this morning. And so I'd encourage you to do that because there's great drama in the book of Ruth and there's great hope in the book of Ruth. And most importantly, there's that word 23 times in the book of Ruth. Redemption. What a rich word. God has bought us back. God is in the process even now of fixing. All that is broken. So we're not going to stand and read any portion, but we're going to look at several portions of the book of Ruth as we look at God's unexpected journey to joy. We have that beginning, that tragedy in Naomi's life. And here's what I want you to see first and foremost, that tragedies can put us in a position to receive God's gifts. You see, if there's never famine and there's never these funerals, then Naomi never experiences her greatest gift. You know what it was? Who it was? You do, if you know the story. It was her daughter-in-law. Ruth was her greatest gift. You see three widows there. Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech, and so do Ruth and Orpah. Orpah, that loud mouth talk show host you know. And... That's really her name, Orpah Winfrey. She changed it to Oprah later. Orpah leaves when Naomi grieves, but not Ruth. Ruth cleaves. And this is the language of, 
of marriage, really, that comes from Genesis. It's the same word that a husband and wife are. A husband is to cleave to his wife, to cling to her. And that's what this daughter-in-law does to her mother-in-law. How many daughter-in-laws in this place would do that to their, their mother-in-law? So as you think about that, you don't have to raise your hand, but that's a, that's a pretty incredible thing as we think about our world. It was an incredible thing in that world as well. And here's what I want you to read with me from the screens on... Uh, in, in Ruth 1, 16 through 18. Would you see it? But Ruth replied after, uh, after Naomi says, you go home. Y'all go home and start a new life. You're better off without me. Here's what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go. I will go wherever you live. I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there will be buried. There I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. You see Naomi's greatest gift? that God's given her in that moment of grief is the commitment, the care, the compassion of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And she would have missed all of that had it not been for the tragedy she went through. And can you imagine this for just a moment with me? Naomi has her own thoughts and her own plans and her own dreams that her name, Naomi, means sweet or pleasant. That's what she wants. She wants a pleasant life. Isn't that what most of us want? It's just a pleasant life, a happy life, a good life. And that's all stripped away from her. And she can't understand it. And she begins to blame God. In fact, in the first a few verses of this book, we see in verse 13 that she says, the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And later in verse 20 in chapter 1, the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And later, uh, or just before that, Almighty has made my life very bitter. And, and 21 says, the Lord has caused me to suffer. The Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. You see? She doesn't understand what God's doing. How can she in the midst of her grief? She's got her own plans and things aren't working out like she planned. Now, those of us who've lived a little longer than these graduates at this point, things work out like you planned? Not exactly. Maybe not exactly. But for some of us, they're better than we planned. And God in His grace is still working out His plan. And so He's not done. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. It's just starting. That's why we call this time in our lives commencement. It's just beginning for us as graduates. It's just beginning for us as the people of God. And so can we see 
God uses the difficult things in our lives, even the tragedies in our lives, to mold and shape us, to make us. He, he uses those tough things to direct us, uh, to correct us, to perfect us, but most of all, to connect us to Him and His plans and His dreams. You guys pursue those things, you'll never in the end be disappointed. It may be hard, but it'll be worth it. So you keep pursuing the things of God and you see what God has in store. It'll be the greatest adventure of your lives. I'd encourage you, but I'd encourage all of us to continue to do that. That's the first thing I want you to see from the book of Ruth because we know that our tragedy is this. In our lives, we were at a spot, whether we realize it or not, where the, that, that we were, were dead, the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. Ephesians 2 talks about it this way. We were dead in our transgressions. It's not like we were drowning we were drowned. It's not like we were, were perishing. We were already perished. Sometimes we get the picture of this, that the, when we were dead in our, our sins, that, that Jesus is in this boat, and we're drowning, and we're crying out and calling out that He would save us from drowning. But no, we're already dead. And the picture of salvation is this. That as we were dead, Jesus, floating in the... And the water picks us up and brings life back into us. For the Christian, life starts with death and ends with life. It's born again. We are born again. For everyone else, we think life starts with birth and it ends with death. But for the Christian, life starts with death and ends with life. And that's the book of Ruth. That's the whole story. There's all this tragedy going on and God begins to work in her God begins to work through her and in the life of her through her mother-in-law. She comes back, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem after this drought because Bethlehem's now been thriving and flourishing for a few weeks. And she comes back and all the ladies say, is, is that Naomi? Man, you're not looking so good. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet anymore. Call me Mara. Bitter. Because my life has become bitter. And in the whole process, God has been using those things to draw her to himself. Look at the second thing I want you to see. God intends to use all things to bring us to redemption. To fix us. Even the hard things. So look at chapter 2, verse 3 for just a moment as Boaz shall... Shows up, behold, Boaz. So Ruth went out to gather grain. These poor harvesters would go after the, the main harvesters. And that was God's provision for the poor people in that day. They didn't have a welfare system, so they just picked up the grain after the harvesters. And Ruth goes out in the, into the field, and Boaz harvesters leave some, and she picks it up. And here's what it says. Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and, and as it happened... She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. The relative 
of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, that's an important detail. Hang on to that for just a moment. As it happened, she found herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz is a relative of her father-in-law. Jewish law said that there was a, a kinsman redeemer kind of approach to helping those folks. So Boaz is in that line uh, to be a kinsman redeemer. And we'll cover that in, in just a second. But I want you to see that it's not an accident. Even though in the book of Ruth, God's not mentioned by name, we see God's movement all over the place. As it happened is one of the movements of God. God is directing. It's not luck. It's not fate. God is working in the life of Ruth and Naomi. And so we see as it happened, she ends up in Boaz's field. And here's what kind of the scene happened. If you know the story, Boaz sees her reaping behind her. And he, and he says, who is that? Let me paraphrase that a little bit. Hubba, hubba. Who does she belong to, he says. Is she single? <laughs> and his workers tell him all about Ruth and how she's come back with Naomi and how she's taken care of her mother-in-law. And he just begins to pour out grace upon grace. And he tells his workers, leave a little more for her. And he tells her, you come eat with me and you take care of all. I'll take care of all of your provisions. And God pours out grace upon grace through Boaz. And, and the story continues. And she goes back home to Naomi in verse 19 of chapter 2. And it says, where, where did you gather all all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And so Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I work with today is Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives. One of our family redeemers now we might say this was Ruth's lucky day but we know better as Christians we know the providence and sovereignty of God is at work in these moments now think about this for just a moment Orpah and Ruth married uh, Naomi's sons their, their names were Malon and Kilian that, that means um, sickly and dying and that's what happened that's who Ruth married to start with. And now she has an opportunity to encounter this guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz is a man's man. There is no doubt about it. All his workers see him and they say, praise God for Boaz. He is wealthy and he is well-liked and he is well-to-do. He's influential. And now Ruth gets to exchange her sickly husband for Boaz in the eyes of the, even the world. We see that. But there's more to Boaz than just his his manliness and his generosity and in his grace. He all truth in her situation. And he reaches out to her. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Ruth is there in the field sorting out through the weeds and through behind these harvesters. And her hair must have been a mess and she must have been a wreck physically looking. But Boaz sees her and Boaz sees none of that. 
How did all that attraction, all that happen? God. God's at work in Boaz. And God's at work in Ruth. And God puts them together. And we see this great romance kindled. And so the next thing I want you to see is how God works these things, this tragedy and this trouble together for His good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Not everything's good. We know that. Death, divorce, disease, those things aren't good. But God takes the things in our lives and works them together for His good. And He almost always delivers us from despair through a person. And you and I have been used by God to bring somebody else hope. By sharing Jesus, by providing for them financially, by, by being just generous and gracious to them in all sorts of ways with our words and with our resources. And, and so we know God still works through people and God is working through Boaz in this situation. And then we see this come to fruition in chapter 3. Let's look at it. This is a longer part of the story. But third thing I want you to see is redemption must be done God's way. And this is the redeemer aspect of all of this. The kinsman redeemer had to have uh, the, the connection or had the, had the right to redeem them. And Boaz does, but Boaz is not the first one in line if you know the story. And he also has to have the resources. Boaz most certainly has the resources to redeem. What would take place is, as a family's land was sold, they always had the right to buy that back, but they had to have the resources to buy that back, and Boaz does. But the most important thing is they had to have the resolve to buy whatever it was to buy back. And Boaz has that desire, that willingness to redeem Ruth. Here's the picture. It's the picture of Jesus who's got the right, who left the glory and splendor of heaven to connect with us and relate to us as humanity. Who's got the resources for sure. And He laid down His own life for us on the cross to, to forgive our sins, to pay, make payment, atonement for our sins. And He's got that willingness, that resolve. The Scripture says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son for us. He wants us to know Him. He intends. He intends to redeem us. Redemption must be, though, done God's way. And in the book of Ruth, we see the whole story of the Scripture. God's creation going bad and falling and, and then being redeemed and and restored. And that's where we're going now. The third thing as we look at that is redemption's got to be done God's way. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Look at it with me if you would. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she replied. 
Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. Now you see this picture? Ruth lies at Boaz's feet after he had had a hard day of harvest. After he had eaten and drank and his heart was merry. Now, I don't know how to fully explain this, but it seems to me that this was a sort of an ancient custom of, of marriage proposal. What Ruth is not necessarily asking Boaz to marry her, but he, she is saying to him, if you will want me to be your wife, I would not object to that. And Boaz realizes that. Now, guys, you can't do this. to your you Don't break into your girlfriend's apartment or your girlfriend's house and lay at her feet all night. You'll go to prison if you do that kind of stuff. And that's not a good plan. Not a good plan. But in that day, that's what's going on. There is a, a sweetness of virtuosity or a... a, a integrity to what Ruth is doing that we can't even begin to understand. And what she says to Boaz is, I'm, I'm your servant. If you want me, take me. Have me as your wife. And God is, is working through that plan. And, and the important part of that is Boaz realizes what's going on and that he has opportunity here to redeem her, but he's going to do it the right way. He's not going to take any shortcuts. And that's what we see in the next section. To see, and we're almost done here. So hang with me. In chapter 4, verse 1, he knows there's somebody closer than him to redeem her. And Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. And just then, the family of the redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them, to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, we, we don't even know his name because he fades off the pages of history because he replies, all right, I'll redeem it. Hey, God's not made any more land. There's only a certain amount of it. I'm going to buy this land. And then Boaz says, told him in verse 5, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. And he says the three things that are against Ruth, the strikes against her, she's a... The Moabite widow, she's a foreigner, she's a widow, she's used goods that may, 
Or that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And then that, I don't know what we call him, uh, weasel of a redeemer says, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. Maybe he's married already, or maybe he doesn't want to be married. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. And then they swapped sandals. And Boaz, that's the way they signed the contract. They swapped sandals, and Boaz takes, so, takes it from there. He does it the right way. Why is any of this important? Why would I bring this to you on Mother's Day, Graduate Recognition Sunday? Because the last thing I want you to see, the last thing is this. As we look to this together, I hope you've been following along in the bulletin, the ultimate joy, the ultimate joy that God's redemption brings is better. Is better than anything we could plan or dream. Naomi's got hers. But what happens is Boaz and Ruth get married and they have a baby. And they name that baby Obed. And Obed has a, a child later and his name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son, actually eight of them. But the youngest one of them becomes the greatest king in Israel's history, David. And at the end of the book, in Verses 14 and 15, we see Naomi who goes from being sweet Naomi to bitter Mara back to being sweet again. There's redemption. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. In verse 14, chapter 4. May this child be famous in Israel and may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Isn't that beautiful? Don't miss it. Yes, she lost her sons and that was tragic. But now she has this baby and and what she intended was a pleasant, a nice, a sweet little life to raise her two sons. And what God intended through her was the salvation of the world through her line, through Obed and Jesse and then David and all the way down to Jesus. God's got bigger plans for you than what you have. And He may shatter some of your dreams in the process. And He may shatter some of our dreams in the process. But don't give up. Don't quit. Keep seeking Him. Because He knows what He's doing. Let's pray together. Well, Father, in these moments, I pray that You would stir the hearts of Your people in this place. That You'd help them realize That you receive them just as they are. All of us, Lord, in our brokenness, in our heartache, our disappointments, our shattered dreams, in our joys, in our victories, 
and the blessings of life that you have provided. Wherever we are, Lord, we're all in the same place in need of Jesus. To fix and to heal. Thank you, Lord. For sending Jesus to redeem our souls, our lives, our futures, our plans, our dreams, and to make them even more glorious than what He's doing, what You're doing, Lord, in us and through us. It's in the power of your name we pray. It's Jesus.